Welcome to WP Tonic Roundtable Podcast, where a panel of leading WordPress junkies discusses the latest WordPress and internet stories of the week. Now, on with the show with your moderator, Jonathan Denwood. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Show. This is episode 485. It's our roundtable show. Normally, you can watch us on Facebook um, live at 8.30 a.m., but unfortunately, this morning... Facebook wouldn't allow me to push it to my WP Tonic page. I apologise, listeners and viewers, but obviously you're listening to this, so you managed to get your your dose of the roundtable show. I've got a, a powerful panel. I think it's going to be an interesting discussion. I've rounded up some interesting stories. I'm going to let the panel introduce themselves quickly. Adrian, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to the new listeners and viewers? Hi, everybody. My name is Adrian. I'm the CEO and founder of Groundhog. We build and produce marketing automation plugins for businesses that use WordPress. And I've got my friend Spencer. Spencer, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and views? Hey, it's Spencer Foreman from launchflows.com. Right. And I've got my friend Chris. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and views? Hello, I'm Chris from Lifter LMS, and I help course creators create, launch, and scale from their WordPress website. I also have a podcast for course creators called LMS Cast. Yeah, it's great. And I've got Vito. Vito, would you like to introduce yourself to the new listeners and viewers? Sure. So I'm Vito. I'm the founder of WP Feedback, where we help <coughs> WordPress professionals communicate with their clients and with their peers. That's great. And before we go into the main stories, I'd like to talk about one of our sponsors, and that's Launch Flows. And what does Launch Flows do? Well, basically, if you need Launch Flows, WooCommerce, and your favorite page builder, preferably Elementor, um, and then you can build world-defeating funnels for yourself and for your clients, funnels for your WooCommerce store, funnels, for your learning management system, funnels and funnels and funnels. And you're not restricted like some other services. You can just keep on building funnels until you die. And it's just amazing what it can do. So if you are looking to build real, you know, real quality, fantastic funnels, go over to Launch Flows, have a look at, at the product. Uh, and they've been generous. They're given a 25% discount for you listeners and viewers of the WP Tonic Show. All you have to use is the coupon code WP Tonic Rocks. I repeat that WP Tonic Rocks. And then, like I say, you get 25% off, and then you can start building those funnels for yourself and for your clients. Um, before going into the main stories, I had an, another panellist turn up. She's a little bit late, but I'll forgive her. Um, that's Sally. Sally, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Certainly. My, <clears throat> my name is Sally Getch. I'm here for the vocal contrast. Because um, I'll be the only person on the podcast, you can be absolutely sure which, who's talking without looking at the video. Except maybe Jonathan and Vito. Yes. Um, the rest of y'all, you got to do something to distinguish yourselves. I'm not going to reply. Mind the mind boggles, actually. There's so many things I can do right now. Like, <laughs> so many boggles come to mind. I'm not even going to go down that road. Uh, um, so let's start with story one. Proposal to move WordPress theme review 
process, the GitHub. What did you think of this one, Spencer? Well, I remember back in the day, um, the theme review team, I knew originally at least a couple of them, and the theme reviews were necessary because themes did form and function and they were important <laughs> and they're just not. In fact, the conversation that I have most often nowadays is trying to describe what a theme does in WordPress is like, look at Chris or, well, Adrian normally, but look at Chris. It's like that thing behind you, that whiteboard with magnetic, that's what a theme is now. It's essentially like a layer that I'm not really sure you really need, but we technically need to make WordPress work to stick between the WordPress and your page builder. And that's it. So to be honest, I think that what we should really be talking about is like, can we just deprecate themes altogether and just call it what it is? It's the WordPress backend, page builder, and then the thing. But as it is right now, I like the fact that things being on GitHub are more transparent because when I did know the people, and I won't name names, but some of the people on the theme review team have gone on to better things. <laughs> it's like the whole auto conversation again of politics and favoritism and who's in line. And it's like right now trying to get your COVID-19 relief thing, like why the corporations get their money, but the normal waitress and waiter aren't. Just too much politics and bullshit. I think that the whole idea is nonsense because who really benefits from putting a theme into the repository now? It's only to get notice of whatever you're selling. Let's be honest. Um, what do you reckon, Vito? I agree with the concept that, uh, you know, themes are for beginners uh, at this point. That's how I look at it. But uh, it's still a massive market, so it definitely needs uh, to get some structure uh, in there. I never submitted a, a, a theme for review myself, so I'm not really familiar uh, with the process. But, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much what I took from this. Do uh, you think not, it really is a big market still? I'm not being critical, yeah. but, like, do you really think who actually gets any benefit from anything in the repository other than it sells them on their upsell. I mean, like to go exactly. buy the That's the market. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a lead gen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, perhaps having a theme in the repository is, is, <laughs> you know, as, as Vito says, it's, it's mainly a way to let people know that, that you have a, a premium product, but yeah. themes as a market certainly do still have a market. Cause you know, there are still all those, uh, <laughs> Uh, there are still all those people who just want like to slap something up there and they don't want to tinker with it and lay it out. And there and millions also, and millions every year. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems. What do you mean by that? Because clarify, because, for example, look at the theme like Cadence. Cadence has a whole slew of page builder stuff and they've got the Cadence theme. But the Cadence theme is like Astra. It, it does what it does. It's a whiteboard, but by itself, nobody uses it. It's only after you start piling the, the stuff on top of it, like the magnets. Well, there's still apparently lots of people buying all these themes from ThemeForest with a zillion plugins bundled in and, and, and all that stuff because for some reason they, you know, that, they go for the advertising and the bells and whistles. And, and you same know, point, though. That's, that, that's that kind of you're buying the theme. You're not getting those for free in the repository. We're talking about the repository. I'm not arguing that there are people who will ba buy themes that have pre-made stuff baked in. I'm saying in the repository, you will never find something that by itself is worth the trouble of schlepping and digging through the repository because they're only like, oh, it's just like a I agree with that. Yeah. 
whatever. Well, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't look, I don't look for themes there, although, you know, and, and haven't done for, for a long time. So that, yeah, I mean, you know, does it matter? And yet, you know, Astra is one of those themes in the repository. There, there is a free version and, and yeah. that's how people get to know it exists and to have that experience of having a good canvas on which to paint with their page builder or, or their uh, Gutenberg blocks. But I think we're looking at it from the point of view of the, of, you know, of pros working in the space, but that's not the experience for um, uh, maybe even most WordPress users. You know, they're just like, they need a theme. So they will find the theme tab in the system that they already have and look it up. They don't know ThemeForest exists. Themes? That's uh, probably good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interject for a moment. I would, I would agree on that as well. <laughs> uh, themes, I don't, I don't think themes are what needs the most attention. I think, I think the opportunity for product makers and people looking to, to build up on top of WordPress industry is really in the product space, in the plugin space rather, not necessarily the theme space. And I think that the WordPress team should invest more time in making that process clearer and easier the uh there are a thousand ways to build a plugin for for wordpress and some of them are better than others uh, but there's very little solid education on proper conventions proper structure proper development practices for people who build plugins and they're also not really super enforced via the plugin review team. I mean, I've submitted several plugins to the WordPress repository. Each took less than three days to get to get uploaded. And the process looks like this. You upload the repository, you get an email back with all of the things that are wrong with it. And then you go through the, the email, right? It's not like you can check mark it's done or there's no software associated with that. It's like an email just with all of the bugs. And then you go through and you fix all the bugs and then you send it back and then, you know, they check if those bugs were fixed. And if they were great, you're in the repository. But there's no, like, automated testing. There's no, um, they don't check for, like, uh, code structure guidelines or anything like that. You know, they're not like, hey, listen, you should really be moving towards, like, a 7.1 PHP compatibility level via, like, a 5.3. So... Honest, I feel like investing more time in that area would encourage more people to invest in building plugins yeah. and, and products that will be useful in the future versus burying more money into the theme market, which I think with Spencer has limited time left on this earth. Yeah. However, I mean, you know, the point of the article is not should we have themes, or uh, uh, but is, you know, how should we go through the process of reviewing themes? I and think plug-in review should be moved to GitHub via just the right. email well, back and maybe forth. They, maybe that would be a much more valuable system. Maybe they want to practice on the themes first. I just Plugins want to put, are more I'll complex. I just want to put something to Chris, actually. They're saying this, Chris, but the reality is you would, lo you would love loads more themes designed with Lifter LMS in mind, wouldn't you? As, you know, you, always, you, know, you would love that, wouldn't you? So there's, there's, def there's definitely still a demand for, for people around themes designed for Pacific purposes like for a learning management system or, or industry specific, isn't it, I feel? Well, I think, uh, you know, my philosophy is I like to put my customer at the center of the business, not my product. And my customer who's building a learning management system or an online course or training-based membership site, they need an LMS plugin, 
They need a theme. They need some cool blocks. They might need page builders. They might need training. They might need a service professional to help put the site together. So there's a whole spread of things they need to be successful. Currently, themes are on the table for every single WordPress website in the world. So yeah, I think it's cool when themes integrate. I think the big mistake, I I think there is a place for all-in-one general themes. But I think for whatever is left on this timeline for themes, having like niche themes, not just it's an LMS theme, but like this is a theme for personal trainers who are trying to teach and train and do coaching from home with at-home people that don't have workout gear. Now, that's a theme that speaks to a very specific okay, person. Okay, but how do you build problem. a theme specifically for that, that, that person? What is it that that theme needs in its, in its themeness? I mean, for, for a lot of, quote, you know, specialty uh, niche themes for businesses, basically the main thing is they have pictures, you know, associated with that business. With something like LMS or um, e-commerce, you know, the theme has styling made to work with a plugin to to display it in a in a consistent way. Um, well, I think there's I think there's a um, uh, like there's a certain style. Like if you look at the the dude workout dudes with like ripped abs and it's like they're black websites and you know big like sharp fonts and stuff. There's like a particular style for that particular type of industry. Whereas like a yoga more feminine like theme could be completely different. <laughs> so branding and, I mean, is really what it comes down to a little bit. What? Branding is a huge part of that. Uh, yeah. Right. And your branding is really about your own business. So that kind of gets back to what Spencer says about, you know, you want something that's in a lot of ways a, a blank canvas and you can say, hey, you know, I want to be the uh, <clears throat> you know, these kinds of fonts and these kinds of of strong colors and and so on, but then you, you know, when you apply them, you want to be them to actually apply to everything that you need them for. But not I, not I every WordPress, what, yeah, not every WordPress user can. Yeah, no, not every and that, that's user, the, that's the thing. Not not everybody word, not every WordPress user can. Although not everybody who is a, uh, you know, a, a, a yoga teacher or or runs a a, a gym. Uh, or whatever is building their own website either. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, right. Let's go on to the other story because we can go on on forever. Oh, oh, the only other the only comment I would say is I think the thing that's kind of diluted the whole situation is like Alameda. You know, they got this one page um, landing page feature, which then you can put you can put the same style over the whole website. So. It's kind of diluting the whole thing, what the page builder does, what the theme does, what Astra, we, you know, I was looking with Spencer with a kind of starter theme from Astra a few last week and it did some really crazy stuff. Um, so it's all up in the air at the present moment. It'd be interesting to see how this really pans out in the next year, really. On to story two. Jack... Um, Dorsey vows to donate one billion to fight the plague, <laughs> the virus. Um, what did you think of this one, Chris? I think it's a good move. I think in society, when we have people that are, you know, the uber wealthy that like got hit all the right notes at all the right times and put in a lot of hard work and built these gigantic uh, um, 
you know, masses of wealth, there's only so much money one individual needs. And, um, you know, working on the problems of the time in the same way Bill and Melinda Gates did with the Gates Foundation. I think it's really important. And I love that he's championing not just the coronavirus, but the universal basic income. I think it's this, a strange thing in the United States of America that there's not like this this floor of like standard of healthcare that is accessible like it is in Canada and many other countries in the world. Um, me personally, I'm for universal basic income and I'm glad to see a, a tech leader stepping up and helping focus on, on that. And I think the coronavirus, particularly with its economic impact and as people start losing jobs and stuff like that and the struggling middle class and everything, um, there's never been a better time to open up the conversation and start working on a minimum healthcare standard so that as a society, people have that safety net. Yeah, I've got such mixed feelings. Of, of, of the type, I think Jack has shown a bit more leadership and a bit more common sense than, than a few in the kind of Silicon Valley bubble um, they haven't shown any kind of real leadership apart from stuffing their wallet with as many $50, $100 notes as they can grab, get their hands on. Uh, um, but um, I, I have a problem with these people like giving a being here and a being there. And, you know, I'd rather have them just pay their normal taxes. You know, but I don't know. What, what do you reckon, Spencer? You know, if I read between the lines, and again, I'm not a fan of any of the billionaires per se. I like what certain billionaires do. I'm not a big <laughs> fan of Jack Dorsey or Twitter or what they're done. And his own reputation is nothing I can say to personally, but I've read it does not paint a glorious picture of his altruism or his way that the company treats even the homeless people out in front of his building in Market Square in San Francisco. I, I read that he says he plans to donate. And the immediate response that my brain gives me is a sort of uh, Marie Antoinette kind of a thing. Like, if I was a billionaire right now, I'd be really, really worried about my PR because he's out there. He's exposed with, you know, the various things that he's doing is like, why are you hogging the money? Whereas a Larry Ellison is like, hey, F you. And that's the way he's always been. Well, what about Jay? Dorsey, well, I'm saying Dorsey sort of walks this line of like, I'm amongst the people kind of stuff. And so the problem that really I, without being long-winded, I've been reading other things that are going on. Like, for example, in Britain, how they're burning the 5G cell towers. And then there's a thing that says, why are rich people afraid of, of pandemics historically? It's because when the pandemics kill all the, the working class people, and when you've got the disparity we have now that shows like how, you know, the rich got rich and the poor got poor, guys like Kim have to really be worried about how they can go out in public unless they take a stand. And look what's happening to Bill Gates right now. I don't think Bill Gates is an angel. I think his acts in the 90s make him clearly the Mark Zuckerberg of his era. But I don't think what he's doing right now is necessarily conspiracy theory or anything trying to lock us all up into, you know, Marky with the chip. Yet, he's got to make these comments where he's like trying to offer his money to solve a problem. And half of the people respond with like, oh, it's you're, you're this and that you're trying to enslave us. Dorsey's not doing anything. And yet he's sitting on a pile of cash. So long story short is I read this kind of like 
we won't hear from him again. He said he's going to do it. He's not going to do shit. Bill Gates is actually doing some stuff, which causes controversy because people think they're enslaving, getting enslaved. Um, I would love to hear what's Bezos doing. We did hear what Bezos, well, we heard what Bezos said he was going to do. I mean, this, this is the thing. I think in a lot of these cases, we've got, you know, people saying, you know, Bezos said he was going to donate $100 million to food banks and then Oprah did. But it's like, well, you know, have they done it yet or, or, or not? I have known people who are like the, you know, they make a big splash yelling about how much money they're going to give to something and somehow the check never shows up. Now, you know, I would hope there were some people uh, out there accountable, you know, wanting to, to keep people accountable for this kind of uh, this kind of pledge. I, I would say with Bezos in particular, not to take it off of Dorsey, but Dorsey with Square, you can make the infrastructure of Square available. Don't charge fees for like the next six months or something, right? Do something tangible with the service you have. With Bezos, it's so clear. How about Amazon's whole shipping process, which is the best in the world? Be used to deliver some masks. Like, I don't understand four months later, there's only 360 million Americans or something rough about. Why is it that they just haven't gotten everybody one mask? I mean, like, as a basic premise, couldn't we have all just, as a demonstrative act, even if it didn't serve a practical purpose, just used Amazon to deliver one mask per every person in America? Because they've got the trucks, they're driving around the neighborhood all the time. Couldn't they have just, said 3M, DuPont, whoever, make 360 million maximums all of you and distribute one to everybody as a confidence gesture that we're going to use what's here. Even Amazon. if your uh, Amazon order that you already ordered anyway, just throw in a mask in there, could have been a nice I mean, gesture. Right, Vito, I'm saying like, does a day go by that you don't see an Amazon truck? Like no. literally? So that's how Amazon, and meanwhile, Amazon, again, I love them and hate them. How is it that they paid zero taxes on a trillion dollars of revenue, and yet we can't get them to deliver a mask when the guy's driving around the truck every day? That's the kind of stuff that in the society we live in, this article reflects to me what our problems are. That one douchebag, Jack Dorsey, can sit there and say, oh, I plan on giving a billion of my dollars away while he's walking around in skinny jeans with his girlfriend, and everybody else is eating cake. Meanwhile, why don't you just do it and then tell us you did it? Instead of saying you're planning on doing it, it never happens. Yeah, I see your point there, actually. Yeah, I thought we'd be, but I do understand where you're coming from. On, on the, um, what should we do? Um, go on to the next story or should we go for it? Let's go for the next story. Um, so um, how to offer multi-year contracts that make sense. And that's from, that's from Chris, Chris. Mayer. Chrissy. Um, and who shall start? Shall I start with Sally? Sally, what did you think of this one? Multi-year contracts. Not something I've actually thought about. Um, I, I mean, it seems to be a, uh, a, a perfectly sensible uh, kind of uh, suggestion and, and advice about, you know, how to do this to set this kind of thing up in a way where... Um, you know, if it turns out that, you know, something changes and, and the plan you've agreed on for service is, is not suitable, that, that you can adjust it and really, um, you know, any contract should come with some kind of clauses that, that say, you know, you can agree to do something different if, if it isn't working uh, and the, uh, the terms on, 
uh, on that. Um, I don't know whether it's something I'm going to uh, uh, attempt to do at the moment. I'm just like, you know, so busy uh, just doing my work that plotting it is more difficult. But uh, I would guess that maybe uh, the plugin people have more experience in this area uh, of how setting that kind of thing up uh, works and uh, what pitfalls there might be. Yes. I, I Jen, you want to say something? Yeah. So um, for anybody who's not like super experienced with multi, uh, multi-year contracts first, it's when you offer a discounted rate on whatever your regular rate is if they purchase for an extended period of time. We offer licenses for $40 a month paid annually. So if someone were to say, I was like, well, what if I pay three years up front, right? Can you give me a discount? It's like, sure. If you're going to pay three years up front, then instead of $40 a month, we'll do it for 25. Something like that. That's how a multi-year contract works. And uh, the article was saying, well, that's a really interesting way to do business because it provides a lot of incentive in order to kind of lock people in up front by providing them a great discount, but you're able to collect that, you know, three years worth of revenue upfront and use that to fund, you know, whatever else development and, and, and so have you. And uh, Bluehost, I know, is a hosting company that does this a lot. SiteGround does this. And they're great sales tactics because they, they can advertise like $5 a month hosting, right? But then you get to the checkout page and it's like, it's not actually $5 a month. It's $5 a month uh, paid up front for three years. So your your so your out of pocket is actually closer to whatever five times twelve times three is, which is a lot. And I know this works really well because people end up in my support queue and they say, This is my hosting company that's like really terrible sell, you know, shared hosting platform for one of like these three dollars a month, whatever, which is not a great host for a big WordPress site. It's not really where you want to be. I know a great host. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you do. And they come to me and I'm like, all right, well, I can't change now. So I can't use your product because I'm committed because I've divested myself of all this money. So now they're disappointed with their host because they won't let them out. So the way that you let people out of their multi-year contracts is by charging the difference of how much they've paid versus your regular rate. So if they've been on your service for six months and they paid, you know, the the whatever in advance, you refund them the difference of what that six months would have been cost at regular rate and then additional extra fee and then you give them the rest back. So that way you don't provide a full refund. You don't provide a refund only for the your discounted amount, but your full rate. And that's an easy way so that they don't feel like they've been gypped they don't feel like they've been cheated and they don't leave with a bad taste in their mouth, but they're still able to pick up the majority of their investment and move somewhere else if they really, really need to. There is, an oppor- there is an opportunity for plug-in providers, I think, to use this instead of the lifetime deal. And the lifetime deal, I know I know, Vito is a big fan of the LTD. And no, power, but, but, but power I will, to you. Yeah. <laughs> I think the LTD is a terrible <laughs> business model. And I think it creates a lot of, it, you know, it's, it creates a lot of wealth and revenue in the short term. And now you are obligated to this person to do whatever their heart desires for the rest of your business lifetime. And that is not a good relationship. That is a take all, give nothing relationship from the customer's point of view, where they're taking and taking and taking and taking, and you can't take anything back. There's no give and take when you're charging monthly or yearly fees 
you know, you're basically only committed for the year and then, you know, the customer then has to give and then they can receive for that next year of their I think, uh, I think. Well, I, th- I think the people offering lifetime deals are partly counting on the number of uh, people like me who, ooh, it's a lifetime deal. It, that, that looks like a, a good thing. And two years later, they've never used it. I'm sure that's true for a lot of people. And uh, I mean, I know of But yeah, you, you are, are at risk of, of, the, of the, the one person who is like super needy and, and yes. you're never going to get any more money out of them. Absolutely. And I think the multi-year contract for plug-in providers provides an opportunity to create the wealth of a lifetime deal, but for a specified amount of time, at which point you can start reaping the rewards of a regular renewal rate from them. And I think that the multi-year contract would be better than than the lifetime deal. And I'd like to see more, more plug-in authors starting to do well, that. I'm, I'm considering a lifetime you know, deal for my services. I've, Thank you I've, very much. <laughs> After reading this article, I mean, I'm I'm going to get off the call and I'm going to start saying, all right, well, what, uh, what's our, you know, our customer lifetime value? We've only been in business for like a year and a half, so currently, a customer lifetime value is whatever's a year and a half is. But projecting and doing the math and saying, all right, so how much can we realistically charge or give a discount on if they, you know, commit three years in advance? Because if they're paying, they're switching from something like HubSpot, which is already a thousand dollars a month. You know, we could charge a thousand dollars for three years, and the obvious like savings, the cost savings there are apparent. So, certainly yeah. an opportunity for plugin providers. And I know Vito really, really, really went on to jump in on this. Yeah. Can I let Michelle? We've had another panelist um, join us, Michelle. So, what did you think of this, Michelle, this article? I think uh, the multi year is a better idea for products and services. Um, one thing I would keep in mind, if you do you do multi-year as a more service-based items, uh, make sure you've got a really good um, terms of services clause set up for if they are in it for like a year and a half and then wanting to leave of how you're going to refund them, if at all, or if it's because you're getting it at such a discount. Anything you want to cancel before the end of term is uh, is taken at a loss to them or something like that. So when you do get those clients who want, and customers who are wanting to, oh, I bought this lifetime, but I only used it for such and such, or I bought the services for five years, but in a year and a half in, I don't like it. I want all my money back. You can cut that off at the very beginning. Yeah, thanks for that. So, Chris, have you ever been tempted lifetime, you know, when you wanted the injection of revenue, let's say you wanted to accelerate um the coding, you know, the feature um, runway, you wanted to hire more staff. Were you ever tempted to go down that route? I've definitely thought about it, but I actually rely on one of my team members, her name's Kathy, to talk me out of that at any time it comes on the table. And the reason for that is um, the way we run our company and set up our economics to, in order to provide world-class support and do continued development, we need to not go upside down on what people pay versus the cost to deliver the product. I think an example of somebody who has done the lifetime thing well is Jack from WP Fusion. He has a lifetime deal on WP Fusion. Currently, as of this recording, it's $849 for one site. And it comes with only three years of support. So if you're that type of buyer who's not going to need the support, 
and you plan on using WP Fusion for a long time, um, then it makes sense. So the lifetime deal, but three years of support access, I think is kind of a middle ground. Rolling it back to multi-year contracts, I think that is a very smart move um, to do with annual subscriptions in the WordPress space for anyone looking for expansion revenue based off of the, you know, their, their power users, happy users that aren't going anywhere and they just want a, a little more value, but you're not giving up that recurring revenue so that you can continue to grow and support your team as a company. So, Vito, I'm going to let you end this. What, what right. did you think about this? So, there's a few points. Uh, like, First of all, from, from the point of view of the lifetime deal versus these, um, these uh, uh, multi-year contracts, um, I would actually suggest that you would go for a lifetime deal rather than these multi-year contracts. And I'll tell you why. Um, lifetime deal, like you said, Jonathan, it's a great way of creating like an injection of cash if you want to take a new next step in the business or something like that. We used it as creating our seed round, you know, so that actually helped build the business from nothing to, uh, to um, so something that usually takes a couple of years in a span of two, three months. I just uh, want to say, I think at the very beginning of a business, it makes a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And now there is no way of getting a lifetime deal, you know? So we kind of capped that with our with our funding goals, right? That was the, the, there was a clear strategy to why this happened. And also it was offered to a certain amount of users that from research and from knowledge, I know that it's not going to be a huge effect of our target audience. So there's still plenty of subscriptions to go around, even with those lifetimers uh, on board with us. Um, but as a new company, like Chris is saying, you don't know where, how long you're going to last. You know, most companies don't last. That's the, that's the, that's the truth. Uh, and more than that, a, a lot of times, and I'm sure that, you know, we... Each one of us look at our last three to five years, we've done something else. And um, so if we would have offered someone this kind of contract for years to come, let's say we would offer that through the agency of a care plan on a three-year basis or anything, you're stuck. You're stuck in a business that maybe you don't want to do anymore, you don't like anymore, but you still have these contracts with the, um, the value there is that you can actually sell them. You can, you can have, you have a, you have a, um, like a, an asset that you can sell. If you sell the agency with contracts, you're going to see a lot more uh, uh, revenue from, from that point of view. But to build it, I, I wouldn't have done it in my agency. Every, every uh, three to four months, every quarter, you're kind of learning a new world as you're growing and you're just starting a, a kind of a new business. So to commit, I, I get it for companies like, uh, you know, like uh, Sideground and GoDaddy and whatever, you know, that have been around for a long time. They already have their 1,000 employees that are, that, uh, uh, that are there. They're not going to go anywhere. Uh, but for a new company and especially freelancer or a small agency, I think it's a bad move because while Chris is suggesting that you would give your client a way out, not necessarily they would give you a way out. And then what are you going to do? If, you, if, the, if the business uh, flunked uh, in year two, or let's say you were affected by Corona and you have to close your doors, you still have a bunch of people that paid you two years ago that you still need to serve now. You can't close your doors because you have a contract. With lifetime deal, it's the lifetime of the business. If the business fails, it's done, you know? And we see that with, uh, with lifetime uh, deals all the time. What the right thing to do is to calculate it into the pricing. So the wrong thing with lifetime deals is to charge 40 bucks or something like that, like AppSumo does. 
The right thing is like Chris is saying is to calculate what is the lifetime value that I'm actually going to be able to extract from a, from a potential customer, reduce something for the longevity uh, of, uh, of that relationship. And that would be the, the, the price. The average that people need to consider is 4.3 years. That's the average of a, a, a digital business. The average lifespan of a digital business. So if the cost of a plugin is like 50 bucks, you calculate it, you time it by 4.3 years, you know, 50 bucks a year or so. And then you get your lifetime value without the, the stress on your part. If the business business fails, or if you just decide to go and hang out on a beach in Bangkok, you know, after Corona is done, then you're, you can do it. You know, you have no obligation. Well, that's great. Um, Chris is going to be joining us in May. I'm going to be interviewing Chris. And he's oh, also one more. Sorry. Okay, one oh, other right. I remember from Adrian. Uh, so another point was that you can't extract any more revenue from lifetime customers. That's very wrong. As right. a matter of fact, these people are... Uh, invested more than yeah. any other customer yeah. that you have. So you're much more likely to upsell them with anything yeah. that you will create into the future. I think that's a great point. I, I was saying, I, 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 need, others... I, need, I need to end it. We need to go for a break, actually. But I was just going to say, Chris is going to be joining us in May for to be interviewed. And he's also agreed to join the roundtable in May. So um, Chris will be joining the roundtable show. We're going to go for our break, folks. We'll be back in a few moments. Are you a WordPress consultant, designer, or small digital agency owner? Then you need WPTonic as your trusted white-label developer partner for your next big e-learning or WooCommerce project. WPTonic has the knowledge to help you build out custom functionality that your clients need in LearnDash, Lifter LMS, and WooCommerce. WPTonic is well-known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with a full, no-question-asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Find out how WP Tonic's white label services can help your agency today. Go to wp-tonic.com's homepage and book a free consultation with Jonathan. That's wp-tonic, just like the podcast. We're coming back. I'm going to let... He's biting at the bit. (laughs) So I'm going to let him uh, come back from... um, the first half of the show. Do you want there, to, there, there's no it? question that people who buy into a lifetime deal are more invested than other customers. I think that's true. Yeah. I think it's up to interpretation whether they'd be willing to invest more or whether they would feel entitled to receive whatever additional value you were providing dependent on cost. It depends what. on what you offer. With One, features, exact, you're right, yeah. but with additional yeah, stuff. And, well, it depends on the person buying it too. But I think if 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 you're offering the kind of lifetime deal calculated the way Vito is, is talking about, where it, it's not like a bargain basement thing that somebody's going to make an impulse purchase of, but it's still, you know, if, if this is a thing you're envisioning using for, you know, four or five years or, or however long or using in a lot of places or using that, you know, that your your business is willing to make that investment and then you use it a lot. And so you're interested in possible extensions or, you know, whatever, um, you know, those people are, are probably going to to uh, be good lifetime customers, uh, but if you but if you're you know yeah if they got this deal for fifty bucks and and then they it's like you know generally speaking the less you pay the less you value something. Sure. 
Um, and, and the more entitled, like the less people are paying you, the more entitled they feel. It, it's pretty astounding. Right. This, it's crazy. This is going to story for Microsoft thinks the virus will forever change the way we work and learn. What do you reckon? Oh, really? Chris? What do you reckon, Chris? Do you think this is a turning point in online learning and the way we work and learn? Absolutely. Um, I'd like to talk about it in terms of before, during, and after. So before coronavirus, we're in it right now, we're in the during, and then there's the after. And to think that the after is just going to return back to just how we were before, um, I think there's no way we can't come out the other side of this without lasting change um, in all kinds of things from uh, psychology, mental health, how we approach things, how the economy works. Um, yeah, so I think we're seeing a boom right now in telecommunications. So, you know, Zoom is obviously on a rocket ship and uh, people are working remotely at a scale. The people on this call have been playing this game for a long time and, and you know, telecommuting and doing online business. But all of a sudden, everybody is now kind of on the field of play. So there's no, we're definitely way far out of the early adopter phase. And like this whole thing is going mainstream. Yes, some people will return to work. Yes, some people, most people will turn to the regular school system and everything, but the world has forever changed. And I can't help but look at organizations, governments, business owners, and they look at how the world was able to adapt during these times. And they look at the overhead and the expenses of the office, of the campus, of the private school real estate and all this stuff. There's definitely a place for in-person stuff, but I was just thinking about it last night, thinking about the college experience. If you, you can still have like a college experience and do most of your learning online and still live and hang out and party and you know, do self-discovery and all this kind of stuff, um, but maybe not as much relying on the infrastructure of the university. I see the world as... Um, it is going to go back in a lot of ways, probably 80%. But there's 20% that's forever changed. And now that everybody's a user, I just have, what does that mean? I don't have all the answers, but when everybody has done telecommuting and some, some higher level of online learning, it just, there's going to be rapid change. I suppose it really depends on how long this emergency situation lasts, really. That's too. That too. You know, yeah. what do you reckon, Spencer? If this lasts a bit longer than um, people or, you know, thinking you know it lasts more than than another two three weeks it lasts for the next two to three months stretches on and on and on i think the situation will fundamentally change when it spencer i would say we're already there anyway because even if let's say they gave the all clear tomorrow nobody's going to be running out and hugging and kissing everybody so i i'm putting bets on august september before. yeah you haven't met my neighbors who are still having parties every night <laughs> or, or- <laughs> Or more than hugging and kissing. Uh, the reality, as Chris alluded to, is that the things that were being sold to people by those that benefited from them, such as like corporations saying that you have to schlep your ass into our office or that, you know, we absolutely can't figure out a way to pay for, a, you know, a nationwide system of distributing healthcare or medicine, like all these stuff that, you know, the lies have been exposed. Those genies will never go back in the bottle, which is good. But at the same time, 
the people who have been relying upon participating, even, even unwillingly, in those falsehoods are going to have to get their shit together and be entrepreneurial about like the new opportunities. So I have experienced myself many ups and downs where everything turned over almost every 10 years that happens to me as an entrepreneur mindset. I look at it like, wow, new chance to be the first one in the first chair of the musical chair game. Whereas many people are like, I lost my number three seat and I was so comfortable. It's all over. I'm like, get your head on straight. Of course, life isn't fair. As I always say, a good day is one where nobody shits in my coffee. But at the same time, you now have an advantage if you think this way that, look, yeah, they took away your your whole thing, but you never knew until that tornado came what was right behind it as your next chance. And with the new things that'll happen that are now democratized, right? Everybody's on equal footing when you're behind a Zoom camera in your living room or your house with the kids running around, right? Like nobody is so precious with their expensive studio and their crew of, of pampering people around them. Now you actually have a chance to become a oh, I wish I had, I wish I had a crew that was pampering me. <laughs> but you know, like before all this happened, the, um, I can't think of his name because I have a little headache today too, but like the guy who made the radio show in his garage, uh, who ended up interviewing Obama and all these other people, um, the podcaster, okay. why don't you guys help me out? Joe Rogan? Rogan? Is it? Rogan? Rogan? Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan's like a more, you know, he was already on TV and stuff. The, the guy who ended up doing stuff in his garage, I can't, it escapes me for a second, but like he went from like uh, mental health issues almost going to end his life to now he grew this podcast in his garage because something made him say, I have no choice. And I think when we're presented with that opportunity of like, hey, I got nowhere else to go but up, things will happen. And so from my standpoint, Microsoft and these other companies recognize they might as well get on board and support people in these new endeavors because there's no way they're going to be able to continue to sell the lot. And another one too is we haven't seen the the end of it, like the airline industry. No offense, but the airline industry was really taking advantage of all the handouts and other things they were given the last 6 million times around to screw people into the ground with like Ryanair and these people saying, well, the next seat will be stand-up seats. Well, now their planes are grounded. Boeing is going to go out of business and nobody's flying. I bet they're going to have to be a little more responsive to people's needs and wants for comfortable travel, even at a good price, especially if they're being subsidized. And those are the side benefits. I got to say one more thing that I love seeing, which is the um, pollution clearing over cities like Los Angeles. And and there's like these before and after photography. Uh, Well, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, we have less air pollution and this is awesome. And on the other hand, we have a whole bunch of like discarded masks and gloves being scattered all over the place. It's, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages. I think part of the issue is that this is not the work from home experiment you would have wanted because a lot of people who might otherwise um, have been pretty happy working at home, trying to do it on no notice with their small children home from school is very different from, oh, I've been able to set aside a space as my, as my office and my spouse and kids are out most of the day. And, um, you know, I've got my stuff here. And so I think, there are a lot of people who are very frustrated uh, and desperate to get back to the office, you know, not just for the uh, social 
Uh, well, they're, they're the lucky ones that got somewhere to go. What about the 6.5 million Americans that got nowhere to well, go? Well, yes. And I mean, you know, and there are, of course, masses of unemployed people. And I don't think anybody would have wished that on the on the nation um, and certainly not on the individuals uh, in those positions. Um, so I think a lot of people are getting, you know, the wrong idea about working from home in in terms of of its advantages and they may be you know less willing to consider it if they found this traumatic um but you know at the same time as spencer was saying you know necessity is the mother of of invention that there will be companies that realize hey you know we can do a lot of this or you know not all our people can work Remotely, I mean, I have a, a colleague who's a um, chief of internal communications for a construction company. I mean, obviously, you know, construction cannot all be done remotely, but there are people whose jobs could be done, you know, can be done remotely fairly well. Um, and uh, so, you know, I don't think we're all going to be the same, but we may be surprised some, sometimes at the ways in which we're different. So, Michelle, you work you work for a company. I think you're distributed, and I think you work remotely. I might be wrong on yes. both parts. Um, do you think there's benefits, or do you think after doing it for a while, do you think there's there's some drawbacks as well? And um, there's definitely benefits and drawbacks to working in an office and working remotely. Um, like one of the biggest ones is like if I'm having an issue, it'd be so much easier if I could just walk three desks down to a developer and be able to show on the screen easier than having to pull up Zoom and all of that. However, on a business viewpoint, how much little headspace you have to have to run your business when it's um, distributed than to have to pay for like the building and all the electricity and all that kind of stuff um, is really starting to more catch on as well. But with the coronavirus and pretty much humanity as a whole kind of getting thrown into this um, remote distributed lifestyle, the big issue I see it which is good for technology is that that disconnect of human interaction is getting pushed farther and farther back. Just like Facebook just launched a new app for couples who can, you know, chit chat quote privately with uh, each other. It's not for private. Cause I totally want Facebook under, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, on the uh, phone sex calls yeah. with, the, with the spouse, yeah. Um, they, they, just, they know they know what privacy means. Facebook. Yeah. That was just like a that was just like a a meme waiting to happen. They like Facebook will manage your <laughs> sex life interaction <laughs> after Corona. Oh, please, Mark, you take care of that. Please take. And, and then the best part of it is, while I do love Zoom, Zoom decided to talk to one of Facebook's previous heads uh, of security to get Zoom's privacy issues fixed. That's the right person. Um, <laughs> I just want to. I just want to put this question to Chris, and then we we'll wrap it up because I don't want this going on for warm peace. Uh, um, do you really? We think... were just getting warmed up, John. No, 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 we were. were we? Uh, um, but uh, Chris, um, do you really? Do you really think you can learn online as, as effectively as a interactive a, a person class? 
you know, you're in front of an instructor that really knows. Do you really honestly feel that online you can get the same result? I, I think that's the not the best question. I think you can. Um, it's a it's terrible not, question. It's not an either or situation. And it's definitely an it depends answer. Um, there's no substitute for one-on-one in-person mentoring and learning. However, there are situations out there where learning online is just fine and works quite well. So, um, and then there's the situations where you blend them of various ratios. It's a mix of in-person and online. So, um, yeah, I mean, I learn tons of stuff online all the time. Yeah, my kids well. are, my kids are in my house. I, I would, they were already home. I'm a homeschooling dad. They're learning math online. They do all kinds of stuff online and it's fine. They also go to in-person classes and learn music and dance and things like this. So both can work. Yeah, I mean, I what are you te- what are you teaching, and, and who are you teaching? For, uh, just for me. Sorry, you know, I, I have a I have a friend who teaches first grade. She, she's not finding the online uh, instruction thing uh, is is working wonderfully, um, but for a lot of stuff, I think you can you know you can learn it as well online, but it's also like, who are you and how do you learn? Are you a person who learns well from lectures? Are you a person who needs a lot of practice? Uh, you know, who, who works, you know, that the standard way that we've delivered education in universities works terrific for some people and it's never worked wonderfully for all people. And uh, so, uh, you know, it's it's like, well, teaching what to whom? Uh, uh, well, I was trying. I was being a little bit controversial. Well, yes, I know you're just you're just kind of winding, Chris. I'm all, I'm all, I'm always, it, you're I'm feeding him a line. I'm baiting. Uh, that's my purpose to be entertaining, is it not? Uh, um, I think we wrap it up. Uh, um, we had a couple other stories, but uh, um, but we need to go on to our recommendations. So let's start with Vito. Have you got anything you want to push or recommend that's come on your radar? Can I recommend the virtual summit we're running? Yes. So uh, at the end of the month, the 27th of April, uh, we're running, we're bringing back the biggest online summit in the WordPress space, uh, WP Agency Summit. Uh, last year, we had more than 2,000 attendees on Jan's kind of uh, project that now was brought into WP Feedback. Amazing roster of speakers, amazing roster of sponsors. And um, uh, yeah, and everyone is invited for free. We're serving multiple time zones, so it doesn't matter where you are. There's loads of awesome stuff to do. One really cool thing is that we're staying away from the, uh, uh, you know, very basic and uh, um, experience of virtual summit where it's just a series of webinars. So there is going to be like the talks and all of that kind of stuff, which are going to be awesome. But uh, I am more of a hallway track guy. I go to these events to network and to uh, to uh, um, create relationships. And that's a huge, huge aspect that we're uh, bringing into, the, uh, into our summit with a bunch of innovative stuff and with all of the biggest brands in the WordPress space uh, supporting. So I'll give it some support. I'll give it some more shout-outs. Awesome. Spencer, have you got anything you want to recommend to the listeners and viewers? Uh, I would say neverbounce.com. All right. Uh, it's free to use. I don't know if they pay. I'm sure there's an upsell on it, but uh, it's a real-time email verification. So essentially... If you're trying to get through to somebody, your leads, your customers, you got registration and so forth, you can use that to verify if an email is legit 
or emails. And, and that can be handy. I, I've had a lot of people lately who will do a customer support thing and then I respond and it bounces. And it's usually because like they haven't properly registered their domain name, they're using for email and so forth. So it could be handy. Yeah, that's true. I've had a bit of that recently. Um, Sally, got anything you want to recommend? Oh gosh, there's like a zillion things I could <clears throat> I could recommend in in varying degrees of uh, frivolity and uh, relevance. But I am very excited that I'm taking a CSS masterclass with uh, <clears throat> Rachel Andrew uh, yeah. next week. Uh, instead of having the smashing conference in San Francisco that they would have done, where it would have basically cost a month's rent to go to this workshop, um, uh, they're doing it online and uh, it's 250 bucks, which is, you know, not pocket money, but uh, a lot cheaper. Than, cheaper. Uh, yeah, much less than I pay for my rent, I assure you. So I will dig up the um, dig up the URL for that. Uh, and uh, I believe uh, it, it may still be possible to register. That'd be great. Put that into the chat. I'll make sure it's all in the notes. Uh, Michelle, I know it's short notice. You might not have anything, but anything come across your radar that you would like to publicize? And Actually, I do. Um, they have changed the Giving Tuesday date to uh, May 5th, which is less than a month from now. And GiveWP is putting out a free webinar on April 20th that is how to set up a um, landing page for if you are a nonprofit or club or organization wanting to do a Giving Tuesday um, donation form. Oh, well, I think you need launch flow. That's what you need. Uh, Rob, there we go. Uh, Rob, Adrian, um, got anything that's come across your radar that you'd like to put in front of our listeners and viewers? You're still muted. There we go. I'm not. I'm unmuted now. Uh, so I've traditionally been in the business of uh, marketing automation and designing emails and then handing those emails off to a sending service to take care of it for us. Uh, I am getting into the email delivery business. Thank God. Uh, Thank God. Thank God. With a product called MailHawk, uh, which will be available. Oh, I, like, I like the name. Yeah, do you? So that will be available likely by the end of April. So we're looking very forward to making that available. It is an email delivery company focused on getting WordPress emails to the inbox. No, I think it's a fabulous combination with Groundhog and um, your new product. Um, Would it be possible with MailHawk, like, for example, when a user was added and they got a tag, that you just could say which email they got, and then it just, that's all it did because you could pay 20 bucks a month and that was taken care of? Hint, yeah. Because, like, I think all of my customers would sign up for 20 to 50 bucks a month if that's all it did. Hint, hint. <laughs> there you go. Sometimes the simplest answers are right in front of you. They are. I think it's a fabulous idea. And um, obviously, I'll, I will attempt to give it as much support as I can, Adrian. Um, I think we've had a good show. If you want to support the show, I've, I've missed announcing my bloody winner. Uh, um, I've been busy. I've been very, very busy, listeners and viewers, but I will be announcing it next week, the winner, the first winner of our prize. Um, 
gospel uh, it's, I'm placing it on the top of my list but if you do want to support the show go over and sign up for our newsletter I'm putting a lot more effort in the newsletter making sure it's got a lot more interesting WordPress focused news and it's got the top tips and recommendation from the panel from the previous month all listed out to you so go up and sign for that we'll be back next week hopefully the Facebook will allow me to push it so you'll be able to watch it live as well. We'll see you soon, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week. 